0: That picture is a much better likeness than the one you're seeing right now. That was a few years ago. Uh, really, really pleasure to be here this morning with you. Um, as Alan said, we met at the CCMA, and uh, I liked him immediately as well. You know, when you talk to somebody, even a short hello, how are you, you can sense their spirit, and I sense Alan's spirit. I sense his hunger for God, his love for God, his desire to build something here in Canton. Are we, are we in Canton? Is that where we are? Okay, I wasn't sure. Uh, you know It's important around here, it's not Kennesaw, it's not Olive, uh, is there Olive something? Well, I can say whatever, you don't know. <laughs> Olive, Olive Springs, Olive Springs, yeah. Holly Springs, whatever, 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 it's not that. <laughs> Clearly I am not from around here, right? I didn't grow up around here. I live in Marietta. Our kids who are here with us, one of our, uh, some of our families here, used to live off Exit 20 and uh, Canton, and we used to go up there and see them, it seemed like a long way to go see to go see them, so I live in Marietta, right where, I live right around the corner from Mount Paran North, a lot of you know where that is on All good. you can throw a rock from my house and hit, not that I suggest you throw a rock at a good God-fearing church. <laughs> so it's a joy to be here, my wife Kathy is here with me, uh, this is Kathy, can you stand up? <laughs> We've been married 35 years, I thought we were doing well till I heard 57, I feel like a, like a schoolboy now. Going back to the beginning, so I want to talk this morning about uh, about spiritual sight, spiritual sight, uh, and I'll explain it as we go along. I want to talk about spiritual sight, especially during politically turbulent times. Uh, we're living in a time of turbulence and turmoil. Almost no, no matter what angle you look at it from, no matter where you are, um, whether it's local, whether it's state, whether it's federal or national, whether it's global, is like every time you turn around when you get up in the morning. These are my notes. Thank you so I don't get lost. All right. I got them. You get up in the morning. I woke up this morning, and I logged on like most of us do, and you look online, and you read the news, and you see the headlines, and if you take time to read, you see see things happening um, with the the federal government. You see things happening uh, not only with our government, but with with nations, with economies. Uh, We're living in turbulent times, and Jesus actually defined the times of the end as being times of turbulence and times of crisis. He said, when these things happen, and he described a whole bunch of things, when these things happen, destabilization and wars and rumors of war and brother turning against brother and, 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 and an environment that is, that is very unstable, when these things happen, he said, it's the beginning of birth pangs. And birth pangs only go one direction. They go towards deliverance. So the birth pangs for us are not a negative thing. The birth pangs for us are a sign that ultimate deliverance is very close. Nobody knows when. Nobody knows the day or the hour. And if you or I would be foolish enough to say, well, is that day. And that's the day God had it scheduled. He would change it because no one knows. But we know the season and we know the time. Paul wrote, I have no need to write to you to inform you of the seasons of God because you already know the times and seasons. We're in a time of birth pangs. Birth pang means contractions that are intensifying. Uh, and, they're, and they're coming at, in closer frequency. And the only thing that happens in birth pangs is you're looking forward to the birth, to the deliverance. So I want to I look at a scripture from 2 Kings in the Old Testament. A prophet named Elisha. This amazing guy, he was a protege of Elijah. Names sound similar, but there was no natural relation. Elijah is the prophet who was taken up uh, in a whirlwind. Elisha is a prophet who gets a double portion of Elijah's mantle. And when he gets it, he uses that mandate, that anointing, that capacity. He uses it to impact uh, the kingdom of Israel. And this is one of those accounts. The king of Aram. Aram is um, the new international translation for Syria. The king of Aram was at war with Israel, so the more things change, the more they stay the same. After conferring with his officers, he said, I'll set up my camp in this place or that place. He had a war plan. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. You have to advance the slide. Yeah, thank you. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. So we have prophetic intelligence. This prophet, not by natural knowledge, is by revelation from God uh, telling the king of Israel where the enemy is setting up his camp. So is God interested in international affairs? Yeah, he is. He is. Not just individual life. He's... He's interested in individual life. He came to save us, to redeem us. He came to fill us with his spirit. He came to deliver us. But he also came to establish a kingdom. And that kingdom has to impact the affairs of nations. It has to. And that's what this prophet is doing. He's getting prophetic intelligence. Every time that the king of Israel uh, checked on it, Elisha warned the king, uh, he was on his guard in those places. This enraged the king of Syria. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us He's on the side of the king of Israel. He, he's convinced he has a traitor in his midst. And one of his officers has an idea about Elisha. He says, none of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Interesting, how did he know that? How did he know about Elisha? How did he know about his prophetic capacity? We don't know, but he does. And he's given the king a sense of, of understanding. It's not a traitor in your midst. One of your generals is not, is not sabotaging you. This is the Lord giving information to a prophet of God. And, and kings are not very intelligent. Because this is a king who has been proven many times that the prophet knows what he thinks about in his bedroom. And his next statement is, go find out where he is so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, he's in Dothan. Now listen, if you know where the, pro- the prophet knows everything you think, don't you think he's going to be aware when you come with your army? Kings are unintelligent not because they're academically unintelligent or because they have poor advisors. They're unintelligent because they don't take into account the spiritual realm. The most intelligent human on the face of the earth is one who is connected to the Spirit of God. One who's born again. One who has the Spirit of God tutoring us inside. The most intelligent, the most profound, the most accurate builder who knows how things should go. It should be us. And so they sent servants. He sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night, they surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. That's, that's like old English for, oh my God, we're all going to die. <laughs> nice, covered over, alas, master. I think is how the King James says, alas, master. Uh, let's go back one. Oh my Lord, what shall we do? Alas, master, what are we going to do? He gets up, he puts on the coffee pot, as he's, as he's filling up the coffee maker, he looks out the window and he sees an assassin force. He sees special forces from Syria and they're surrounding the city. They've been sent there by the king to deal with this prophet who's a continual and a perpetual problem. And so you have kings who want to stop the move of God. And the, and the servant is perplexed and he's concerned we're all going to die. And so the, uh, he, tells the, he tells the prophet, what are we going to do? Then the prophet answered, next verse. Don't be afraid, he said, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. What a profound statement. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You're not seeing it, but I'm seeing it. And he made a proclamation to him. And Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around who? All around Elisha. They were around the purposes of God. They were around this guy who's a communication channel on the earth of the will of God. He's just a man, but he has this capacity, and the capacity is is given to him to release upon the people of God. And when this servant's eyes were opened, he saw that the, the hills filled with filled with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. It's the same chariots and horses of fire uh, that that separated Elijah from Elisha. He was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. There is a heavenly army stationed on the earth today you can't see it with your eyes but it doesn't mean it's not there and the issue is we get up in the morning and say alas master what are we going to do the country's falling apart this thing is going on we don't have any recourse i cast my vote i did this i'm lobbying i'm doing my best i'm a faithful citizen but even with all that the problem persists the problem persists what we need is side of what god really is doing and that's what we want to talk about this morning so we move on the army comes down the enemy came down toward him Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So evidently this prophet has the ability to both open eyes and close them. Which is not too different from Paul, the apostle, he could open your eyes, he said God has sent me to make the, to give me the capacity to make all men see. And then later on when somebody was harassing him, he struck him with blindness for a season. Blindness is the worst thing you could ever have. Religious blindness is the most common form of blindness. Religious blindness, we have a form of God. We have a church service. We have a concept of God, but we don't actually see what's happening in the earth. And Paul prayed for the Pharisees, and Jesus told the Pharisees, You're blind men and you're blind fools, you're blind guides. And when a blind guide leads his followers, they both fall into a ditch. Religious blindness is one of the biggest issues on the earth. God wants to set us free from religious blindness, from cultural blindness, from nationalistic blindness. Yes, He wants to set us free, He wants to make us sighted. We have to come up to a higher place. So Elisha, he struck them with blindness, just as Elisha had asked. And so Elisha, he now gets really crafty. Look at what he does. He says, this is not the road, and this is not the city. He's not really lying. He's just saying, "Mm, not really the right place. Follow me. I'll lead you to the man you are looking for. They're looking for him. And he led them to Samaria. That's where the king of Israel was. After they entered the city, Elisha said, okay, Lord, now open their eyes so they can see. And the Lord opened their eyes And they looked, and there they were inside Samaria. They're captured. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Nice having a king calling a prophet father and looking to him for advice. It doesn't happen very often. Even when it happens verbally, it doesn't happen in heart. And politicians use the influence of the evangelical community to try and pass their policy. But they're not really asking what that king was asking. Don't kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them, so they may eat and drink, and then return, go back to their master. So they did. They prepared a feast, the next verse. A great feast for them. So it wasn't just bread and water. After they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. It didn't just fix one battle. It changed international policy in the nations. Nothing else could have changed it. Is like, I come and raid you and kill some of yours, and you come and raid me and kill some of mine, and then I come and raid you and kill some of yours. It's like an ongoing thing that never ends. And Elisha says, there's a higher way. And the way is not what you would have considered. Everybody else would have fought. listen, if you have the enemy in your encampment, what do you do? You slaughter them. You decimate your enemy's army. Elisha instead says, no, you can't do that. Let's feed them. Let's honor them. I mean, the, the amount of power that must have been communicated back to the king of Aram, not only do these guys have the power to take us captive, they also have the power to serve us and let us go. It's like, that's the most powerful enemy I've ever encountered. So let's look at some principles coming out of these verses for this morning. Some principles. Well, the first thought is that, like Syria's invasion of Israel, uh, there is political upheaval and instability in our world. And I don't think you could could debate that. It would be difficult to, to argue against that. The last election between uh, President Trump and Hillary Clinton was the most tumultuous uh, of of any in recent memory. And regardless of what side you're on or what is your views, you had to realize something is going on here. Something is going on here. FBI is investigating, then FBI is being investigated, and then this candidate is being investigated, and then that one's done, and the next one being investigated. Don't you have a sense that something is going on here? I hope you do, because something is going on far beyond the investigations. And we have to, we have to lift ourselves above like Elisha did. He didn't see foreign policy. He didn't see army. He saw God's purpose. He lived up here. And he said, now, up here, I don't see investigations. I don't see two candidates with the highest levels of unlikables in history. What I see is God is doing something in the nations. Therefore, I live above Israel. I live above Syria. And notice, he didn't just tell um, Syria what to do. He didn't just rebuke them. He didn't just strike them with blindness. He also told the king of Israel, what you proposed is incorrect. He had an ethical standard that applied to all the nations. There was no favoritism. So we see that now the whole Russian matter won't go away. These are just some examples. We could probably list five slides. Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, the, the ability of our, of our police to, to bring law and order, the ability of minorities especially to receive social justice. In an ironic and horrific twist this last weekend, a white Australian girl was shot by a police officer in Minneapolis. You read the headlines. The police officer is a Somali immigrant. And now people are saying, well, you know, why, why has the mayor been forced to resign? Not the mayor, excuse me, the chief of police in this case, and they weren't forced in other cases. My issue is not to say somebody's right and somebody's wrong. My point is to say the, the, in, the, the infrastructure, the, the crack in the foundation of society is not going away. Those things are not easily resolved, and you can see it again and again and again. Brexit is, a, is an issue. The prime minister of, uh, of the UK decided to call an election, and she expected to receive a mandate to negotiate the, the exit of the UK from the EU. That's what she wanted to do. Instead of receiving a mandate, she lost power, and her, her majority was reduced, and she had to make a deal with a, with a small splinter party in Northern Ireland And and that's still to play out. The EU is shifting. It's like the the tectonic plates of the earth are shifting. Everything is changing. China's empire is rising. North Korea is saying they have missiles. And you can say, well, we just ought to do so and so and so. You can do whatever you want. But when God has a purpose above the rockets in North Korea, and when God has a purpose above China's new imperial hegemony, and when God has a purpose above whoever is in office in the United States, then, then natural events will not resolve those things. And one of the biggest needs that we have, beloved, is to get our eyes above this and look at him. But it's not some surreal thing. It doesn't make you pie in the sky. It doesn't make you bury your head in the sand. Elisha was very aware of what army was doing what. He read the headlines. Moreover, he had insight and intelligence from God. You look at Syria and Aleppo and that totally terrorized, broken downtown. Terrorism, which all that has to happen is one person to leak through. And that one person can cause devastation. And humans, humans are not configured to deal with it. You're configured to recoil from shock. Like I was reading the accounts of the horrific um, uh, assassination in the nightclub in Orlando. It's Orlando when uh, a guy went into the nightclub and shot up about 50 people, killed them. And I was reading about when he was in the, he was in the bathroom and, and people were hiding in the stalls trying to get away. And they could hear him stop shooting. They could hear him reloading his magazines. That's the time to attack. That's the time to rush that guy and take him out. But the, but the human psyche, the first five minutes are just sheer shock and terror. It's like, rush the guy and take him out. But, but that's not how it works. And so that is only continuing. So we're living in a time of tumultuousness. And, and, and I want to be very clear that there is no solution to all of these issues in the natural. In the natural, there's no solution. And therefore, you have to be a citizen. You have to vote for the candidate you're in favor of. You have to involve yourself. You have to do those things. But you have to do them with the knowledge that that's not going to resolve it ultimately. Ultimately, one thing is going to resolve this problem we have. And that one thing is immortality. The Lord has to come. And he has to bring his bride home to him. And he has to break the power of nations. Yes? He has to to break the power of all nations. And he has to bring the one great nation, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, back home to him. That's his purpose. It's like the day, it's like the night of of Passover in Egypt when the angel of death is flying through the camp, strategically slaughtering the firstborn, destroying everything with strength in the earth. His purpose wasn't just firstborn. His purpose was, I want my people free so they can come and worship me. God wants us free, not just free politically, not just free economically. He wants us free from this thing called mortality. He wants to break us out. And so for that to happen, there has to be some, some tumultuousness. Like we're in an airplane right now, and the pilot's saying, well, ladies and gentlemen, we're about to begin our descent to Atlanta. Buckle your seatbelts. We're going to experience some turbulence between here and the airport. When you're flying from L.A. to Atlanta or wherever you're going from, from Atlanta the other day, I was flying Atlanta to London Heathrow. You know, when you're over the Atlantic, you're 37,000 feet, you can meander and go this way and that way, and you can go around storm clouds. You can go different elevations to try and avoid the, the most intense turbulence. But when you get down to it, that's one landing point on that runway. I can't reach somewhere around London if I'm flying out there. I, I can't just land in Heathrow. I have to land on runway right number one at this many feet at this pace, yes? So, so finishing and coming to an end of time means the greatest accuracy, which means we have to move through clouds and thunderstorms. and, and But God's not leaving us to ourselves. He's giving us sight. So let's look at some principles. Number one, the first principle is that spiritual sight reveals that we have new options. Spiritual sight reveals that we have new options, options that we didn't know existed, thoughts that we didn't know were even legal to think. Spiritual sight reveals to us that God has options far above what we could do, voting this one in or voting that one out or having an inquiry into the police chief or, or, or doing things that seem good and natural, but Elisha didn't do those things. Elisha opened the servant's eyes. Spiritual sight causes solutions to appear that were impossible before. In a sense, it cancels the rules of the earth. Yes, it cancels the rules of the earth. One of our problems is we are so bound by this. We live in it. We walk in it. We think it's so authoritative. Things called time. Things called death. We sang about it this morning. He has conquered death. He has shut the mouth of the one who boasts, who says, I will destroy all. I will kill all. He's already shut his mouth. And now we have to have the manifestation of the victory that death has been destroyed, yes? We're not bound to this. We're not. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Whatever we're doing, however old we are, whatever our options, there are things that come from God that are above the natural events of the earth. We have to cancel the rules and limitations of the earth. We have to be a generation that begins to move towards the end of time. That's not a freaky thing. It doesn't make you strange. I didn't like, I didn't like end-time stuff, first of all, because... Most of it was weird. It was weird. Weird. They started figuring out who was, the, who was the Antichrist and how many letters were in his name and he was a Jew from Germany and, and no, he's not, no, he's not that. He's a Silicon Valley, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a Google executive or whatever he is. If you have stock in Google, for, for, forgive me. It was weird. I, I, Kathy brought me a set of, bought me a set of commentaries early in our marriage. I think it was, uh, it was Calvin's commentaries. Calvin, one of the one of the reformers, and one of the things I liked about that set of commentaries, studying the word of God, was that he wrote a commentary about every book in the Bible, except the book of Revelation. And he said, I didn't write a commentary about that, because I don't understand it. I was like, finally, an honest guy, an honest theologian, he don't know what he's talking about. Thank you very much, John Calvin. The study of the end times, Jesus, the study of the end times is not a study of events. And you have to unlearn a lot of what we've learned through theology and Wrong thinking as men tried to figure out uh, something from God. Jesus said, I am the first and I am the last. And that word last is eskatos. I am the fulfillment of all of time. The end times is in him. So therefore, coming into the end times correctly is coming into Christ. Yes? Amen. Being transformed, having our thinking transformed is not the study of some event. It's the study and the intense longing for Christ in our lives in a new way. Spiritual sight reveals new options. Next, next slide. Number two, the heart is shifted from fear to faith. And this is really important for us. The heart is shifted from fear to faith. During a time of intense crisis, we have to have clear sight that God is doing something in the nations. Otherwise, it causes us to be afraid. In fact, Jesus said very clearly that in the last days when these things happen, men's hearts will fail them for fear. Well, we can't be the ones being failed for fear. You can't be afraid when you have Christ as your Savior, your Lord, your Father. I remember one time, Our youngest daughter is here. She teaches school in Arkansas. She came in last night. She's here for a week visiting. And um, actually, the two daughters, uh, two of our daughters are here. And Kathy and I were out car shopping. And you know how car shopping goes. It's an all-day event. Even if you want to make it a one-hour event, they're going to keep you all day. If you're a car salesman, God bless you. I don't want to come to your office. It's like, "Mm." hmm. So we're there. Uh, Most of the day, it was March or April when thunderstorms. Kind of rip through Atlanta, and there's oftentimes very high winds, sometimes tornadoes, and uh, the tornado sirens go off, and people are afraid, and I think the sirens are going off around our house uh, where we live, and our kids were calling us, and, and it's like, as they called us, we, you know, we, we, have to, we, have to, we have to finish the deal. We have to buy this car and drive away in it, and we're two hours from home, so it'll be a while, uh, and I just, I just told them, no tornado will ever come near our house. It was like this prophetic thing just kind of erupted inside of me. That was 20 years ago, and none ever has. They've come all around us, and none ever will. Because when God promises something, and he brings a place of refuge, you can bank on it. You can walk in it, right? I didn't want my kids to be afraid. We can't walk in fear. God is doing something in the nations, and it's causing crisis. And so we have to look at the issue of of going from fear to faith. Next slide, please. Going from fear to faith. And I think a lot, of people, a lot of people right now are really concerned, and they're, and they're fearful of what will happen. Listen, I want to encourage you that, that whatever happens with the investigation of Russia, and I saw a headline this morning that said that it's the most successful covert operation in international history. Yeah, that's according to the former director of the CIA. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. There's been some pretty successful covert operations historically, but certainly the undermining of democratic institutions in the U.S., it's like it shakes the American mind. It's like, no, you can't do that. And then the wondering of, well, what's legitimate and what's illegitimate and who did this and who did that. Is it all just an attack from the opposition party and those who want to work against President Trump and against his administration? What is really going on? And people, you know, we, we put our trust in the headline of what's going to happen next. But we have to move from fear to faith. Can I have the next slide? So this is what, this is what Hebrews declares to us. It declares that in the last days there's going to be a shaking Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Once more, I will shake. Everybody say, I will shake. Let's say it again. I will shake. This is a statement of authority from God. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And part of what we're seeing is we're seeing the shaking of those principalities, a shaking of those heavenly structures where princes live where they governed the earth, where they built institutions, and behind every behind every natural institution, there is a satanic principle, because Satan delivers authority into the earth. We see that when he was tempting Jesus, he took him up into a high place and he told him, "I have authority over all these kingdoms and all these dominions. Its authority and its glory have been given to me. So there is a delivery of authority into structures by 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 satanic authority, and it's true." And he does it not by being a devil that comes. You don't need to worry about a devil that comes. I was, in Nai- I was in Nairobi last week. I was talking to a pastor. We were talking about development in his church, building kingdom communities or churches. And as we were talking, he was talking about some of the people who were afraid that the prophets were going to come. They were afraid because they, they were concerned about, about, you know, they had a lot of people who said they were prophetic. I suppose if I use the word here, some of you wonder, what does that mean? Or is that really true? And most people, when they hear the word prophet or prophetic, they immediately go to the negative, false prophets. And they begin to quote, well, Jesus said there'd be false prophets. Completely forgetting about the fact to talk about false pastors and false apostles and false believers and all of it's there. But we ain't worried about the false. We're concerned about what God is actually doing. And I was talking to this pastor and he was saying, I have some people in my church who didn't even want to come because I had a team there with me, four or five guys uh, and girls with us, we were doing ministry in that church, and, and, and as we ministered, as we taught, and as we prophesied, afterwards, uh, we had some commentary, and feedback, and from the very back, it was a visiting pastor, now, this is a pastor in East Africa, uh, his feedback, he raised his hand, and I said, yes, sir, and he said, I'm just encouraged, you know, that your team is normal, and they're, and they're not super spiritual and freaky, and I'm also encouraged that they didn't try and take out any bones, I said, what's that? He said, you didn't remove any bones from our bodies and then charge us to put them back in. I said, no, no, we wouldn't do that. <laughs> but that's what's done with, it's not prophecy, it's witchcraft. And it's real. The devils in Africa will take a bone out and put one in. Yes, they will. Uh, or any kind of thing, or curse, or break, or destroy, or, 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 do, or do whatever. They'll, they'll, do, they'll do that. And people are concerned about, about false prophets and they didn't want to they didn't want to come close and and so I had to I had to talk to him about uh, about the difference between an african witchcraft devil and a western rational devil their devil is witchcraft our devil is mind not just intellect rationalism where if you get up and talk about the kingdom of god in most churches you get people upset or you get them afraid because they never read the word of god We've talked about a prophet getting intelligence from God about a military place. It's like we never read that. What do you think it was a fairy tale? The entire word of God is inspired by the Spirit of God. Old Testament and New Testament. And well, we gotta break out of our of our, of our, of our rational Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There's an economy, it can't fail. There's a political process. All of those rational things and in normal institutions will fail. They will fail. But in the midst of their crumbling, we will stand strong. I will shake once more not only the earth but also those things above the earth that deliver authority into the structures the words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain so clearly God's not shaking himself when God says I will shake he's I'm not shaking I'm not created well neither is Christ and you created Christ and you is eternal and we're told that when the spirit of God comes to live with us live inside of us through salvation we are made one spirit. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's not talking about shaking you. He's talking about shaking everything that can be shaken. So we're living in that time. And therefore, our strength is not the stability of nations or surrounding society that are being shaken by God. If you put your strength in that, you will fail. If you put your strength in Christ, you will succeed. If you put your strength and your faith in the purposes of God, you will succeed. But that means you have to know what are the purposes of God. We have to become more aware You can't be a passive believer. You can't be a servant who wakes up in the morning and says, oh, my God, we're all going to die. Because things are there. But you don't even know they're there. Because you're blind. You're blind. Were they there before the servant had his eyes open? They were. Because Elisha already declared, there are more who are for us than who are against us. He already knew what was the reality. And they came and they surrounded Elisha, not even the city. The army surrounded the city. The forces of God surrounded the man of God. They surrounded him. And Elisha knew they were there. Which begs the question, what is the nature of spiritual reality that exists right now that we can't see? What's the nature of your reality right now that you can't see? Clearly from this account, what do we see? We see God wants to get this massive, supernatural, spiritual life to us. He wants to get it to us. It didn't just happen to the servant. It's in the book. So we could read it in 2017 in Canton, Georgia, and say, that's mine. That's mine. I want that very same thing. We have to have strength given to us by God. Next slide, please. <clears throat> Here's a good verse, interesting verse. Hebrews 6:19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope, the hope in Christ, the hope of salvation, the hope of deliverance from, from mortality. We have this hope. As an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And the word anchor, and the next words, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. It gives the image of a ship on a sea where the the waves are tossed. It's very tumultuous. It's very unstable. Up there, people are getting seasick. Up there, they're wondering, can we survive the storm? But down here, it's fixed and it's secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's like Paul, when he was on the ship, he was going to prison in Rome. They were taking him as a captive. It's like he's a slave, he's a prisoner, but in the end, he's the captain of the whole ship. He's bound. And they run into a storm, a wind, I think it's called, Euroclides. I don't know why that stands out in my mind. I think when I was first saved, I was so zealous for the Bible. We used to do Bible charades. Bible charades. Pick a verse and you have to act it out. And my brother picked out, my brother tried to stump us all, and it worked. He picked out the east wind that, that shook Paul's ship named Euroclades. I think that's what it is. I'm, I'm, my memory might be faulty, but I think that's what it is. So this wind comes, and it begins to batter Paul's ship, batter Paul's ship, batter Paul's ship, and everybody's freaking out. There's a bunch of Roman soldiers on board and a bunch of slaves, a bunch of prisoners. And they come, and, they, uh, and they're worried, and Paul has an experience, and an angel of the Lord talks to him and tells him, I will secure your life, and I'll secure the life, of everybody on this ship, but they have to stay on the ship. Don't let anybody go overboard. Safety is around you, Paul, just like safety was around Elisha. Just just like safety is around strong kingdom leadership. Safety is around strong kingdom leadership. I just had a flash in my mind, and that flash in my mind makes me want to encourage and endorse the home groups. Home groups, growth groups, what are you calling them? Small groups. I want to encourage you. Small group is not just like a relational sharing time. It's a building of community life. It's a sharing of heart. It's coming into oneness with the people of God. It's wonderful to be here on a Sunday and hear the word of God being taught, be inspired, be instructed. But we have to walk it out. Yes, we have to apply it. We have to live it every day in our Monday, Tuesday jobs, our Wednesday, Thursday schooling. And one of the ways we do that is by coming into community. Community is the place you want to be. You don't want to be isolated and alone. You don't want to be a servant who doesn't have an Elisha to talk to. You don't want to be a guy in a ship, and there's no Paul to bring strength." And, it's, and Paul said, "An angel of the Lord stood by my side last night and told me, an angel spoke into his ear and said, "I will give you this entire ship. Every life will be preserved if you do what I say." And that's exactly what happened. you guys know the story. The ship was pulled apart by the storm, and they all swam on the shore, and they were safe on an island. An entire company of people kept secure because a man heard from God. Isn't that beautiful? We have to hear from God, and we have to be a community that walks on the anointed. Is that my cue to wind it down? How long have I been going? Is that my cue? Okay, OK. I, I didn't start my watch. If, I'm, if I can, I'm not supposed to stop, I'll stop. If I'm not supposed to stop, then then don't play. Right. <laughs> OK. Okay, I've only got a couple more points. Uh, each one has 57 subpoints, so I'll, I'm going to do my very best, right? our hope and our faith is anchored in what in what you can't see we have this hope as a anchor for the soul, it's firm and it's secure it's firm and it's secure nothing can move it, economic meltdown can't move it, brokenness society can't move it, The, the agenda of darkness to vomit LGBT upon society can't move it, it can't move it inside of our children our children have this hope in their soul, which is an anchor for them. It's not, it doesn't rest in uh, the public school system, as good as some servants of theirs are, who I know, Adrian and Roy, both work there. We're old friends. We know each other very well. Our faith and our hope is anchored in the unseen dimension. The word firm is a word which means like, it's like the word basis, the English word basis. The Greek word is spelled the same way. It means a huge piece of furniture which can't be moved. It's like five men trying to pick up a massive desk. That's what our hope is. It's strong. It's solid. It will, never be, it will never be broken. Next slide. Moving from faith, from fear to faith. Let's move forward. Last slide. So here's the point, guys. The point is, it's possible to grow in spiritual sight and understanding. A servant is a nobody. It's a nobody. In that culture, a servant was like literally a slave. Elisha was also a servant to Elisha, to Elijah, pardon me. And he poured water over the hands of Elijah. And the king said, the word of the Lord's with him because he served that guy. This is a servant to Elisha. He has no spiritual rank. He's not a prophet. His name is not even mentioned. The servant is every man. The servant is us. There's something called the democratization of spiritual sight. Democratization, that means everybody gets it. You don't got to be a prophet. You don't got to be a member of this church. All you got to do is say yes to God. All you have to do is say, I need what that guy has. And you have to want it. That's what I want us to pray. I want us to pray that God would give us sight beyond what we have right now. That he would open our eyes. So, Father, I thank you for New Life Church. I thank you for the spirit realm, which stands open above us. We can't see it with our eyes. Sometimes our senses are are governed by what we can see, what we can taste, what we can feel. But we've been around too long to be dominated by that. We know there's a realm in which Christ lives supreme, sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. There is a kingdom that will never be shaken. It's secure. It's fixed. It's safe. And Father, I thank you that for us to live in the realm that you want us to be in in the days to come, we have to have sight of that realm. Like Paul said, I pray that God would open the eyes of your heart and give you understanding of the calling and the hope of his calling inside of you. Our prayer this morning, open the eyes of our heart. Open the eyes not only of the leaders of this church and this community, more and more and more. Open the eyes of the secondary leaders. Open the eyes of the members. Open the eyes of the staff and the leaders. Open the eyes of the newest members. Open the eyes of our young people. As they navigate through a darkened earth, open our eyes. Like the servants were opened so we can see what is the purposes of God. Bring strength. Break the power of religious blindness. Break the power of opposition. Break the power of nationalism, which tries to keep us fixed in old definitions that no longer apply. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.